time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our children to Kids Church. Uh, they're just finished uh, studying about the names of God, uh, and they're beginning a new unit this week studying about the armor of God. So when they come back with helmets and shields and breastplates, uh, it is because they are studying the armor of God. I'm so grateful uh, that we have this opportunity to teach and pour into and invest kids, invest in children. I want to, before we dive into our text this morning, I seem really hot right now, Chris, really loud. Uh, I'm, I'm, I struggle with modesty, as you can tell. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus admonishing his disciples, the multitude, and he asked them to consider how if we being wicked, sinful men are able to give good gifts, are able to love our children, how much more does the Father love and desire to give us good gifts and desire to pour out His grace upon us. And as we sang this morning, you're a good, good Father, that's who you are. I am loved by you, that's who I am. I want us to just, to just think and meditate for just a moment on that reality. Most of us in this room have children. For those of you who don't have children, you are children. And you know that there have been times whenever you yourself did not deserve the love and the affection of your parents. But the nature of being a parent is that you love. No matter whether or not your child deserves your love or not, whether or not they've done things or broken things, or, or destroyed trust and, and are in the midst of rebellion, it doesn't change our love. In fact, in those moments of rebellion and in those moments where, where they don't deserve our love, that's oftentimes when we love the most. And I want us to just meditate for just a moment on the reality that the God of the universe loves infinitely more than we as sinful people love. And He loves us. And therefore, our identity is found in the love that God has for us. Well, that was all free this morning. Matthew chapter 21 He is a good, good father. That's who he is, and we are loved by him. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be reading this morning in uh, verses 18 through 27. Uh, if you have children, you've probably heard this saying, you're not the boss of me. It's usually as they're talking to their friends or their siblings. Uh, this phrase is said, probably three or four times a day in my house whenever Daniel tells Anna 
uh, uh, you need to clean up your room, or mom says go do this, or, or go take your bath, or whatever, immediately it's, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. And so we're going to look at Jesus as our authority. Jesus is the boss of us. And so Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read this morning uh, in verses 18 through 27. We looked at this passage last week. We're going to look back at this passage uh, all the way through uh, the next passage through 27. Uh, Verse 18, now in the morning... When he returned to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit among you, or fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, his disciples marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith, And do not doubt you shall not only do what is done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask of you one thing too, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, then he will say to to us, then why do you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitudes, for they all hold to John to be a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we don't know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. God, as we see the profound statements of the religious leaders, of their lack of understanding, they simply said, we don't know. We're surrounded and live in a world that does not know. They do not know where their eternity lies. They do not know where their hope is found. They do not know where rest is found. They do not know where comfort is found. Lord, may may we as your church, as the body of Christ, May we point them to the answer. May we be ambassadors. May we be instruments of your grace, pointing people to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, may you reveal to us this morning who is the boss. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're not the boss of me. Authority is something that that we all have struggled with on some level. How many of you in here have a boss? We all do. Even if you own your own company, you have a boss and it's your customers, it's your clients. We all, we all 
are, are subject to authority. It's interesting, uh, as we interact with, with students and, you know, school's about to get started and, and these, you know, we're about to have, you know, 150 some odd kids that, that show up at school in a couple of weeks and, and inevitably uh, there's going to be issues of authority. You know, when they show up and they're not in dress code and, and when, they're, when, when they act like teenagers and they don't do what we ask them to do. And inevitably, this issue of authority is going to rear its ugly head. And, and some of the students are going to say, I can't wait until I'm out of school and no one is my boss and no one is the thought. I don't have to subject myself to a principal. Or I don't have to, uh, to, to do what my parents say. I can't wait till I move out of my house and, and I don't have any authority over me. And it's going to come as a shock to them that the older you get, the more authority you have over you. <laughs> and it's not, it's not that you have one parent or two parents telling you what to do or one principal uh, telling you or one teacher telling you what to do. But many of you understand the reality that I have a multitude of supervisors. I have a manager and, a, and, and his supervisor and his supervisor and his supervisor who tells me what to do. And sometimes those, those statements of authority are in conflict with one another, aren't they? And so authority is something that, that God has placed in our lives. And he's placed in our lives for his greater glory and for him to teach us how to submit. Do you realize that, that if we're not able to submit to the authority that God has placed on earth for us, we will never be able to submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit in our life. We'll never be able to submit to the, to the authority of Christ as our Lord. If we have never learned to submit to the earthly authority that God has given us, we never learned to obey our parents, if we never learned to submit to the authority of a boss, if we never learned to submit to the authority of a teacher, of a, of a pastor, of a, of a principal, then we will never be able to submit to the spiritual authority in our lives. And God places these authorities in our lives for his purpose, and for his glory. Well, let's look at the text. I want us to understand the setting of this passage. Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. This is the week of Passover. He's just entered into Jerusalem. There's the triumphal entry. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He walked straight to the temple. He kicked out Annas and Caiaphas and the money changers and the, 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 the high priest and the, the, the racket that was going on in the temple. He drove them out of the temple. And in the temple now are the lame and the blind. And they have never been allowed into the temple. They are now in the temple. Jesus is healing them. Children are in the temple. And listen to what the children are saying in the temple. The children are crying out, Messiah, save us. And they're crying out, to Jesus. They are in the temple, which represents the presence of God, in, at the time that was set up by God as the, the Day of Atonement is, is drawing near, when the high priest will enter the Holy of Holies and will offer a sacrifice for all of Israel. And they are standing in this very place saying, Son of David, save us, because this mechanism that is set up is insufficient to save us. They're standing there, these children, saying, Messiah, anointed one, Savior, save us. 
save us. It's interesting. Jesus refuses to rebuke his disciples when they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He refuses to rebuke those who are crying out, Messiah, save us there in the temple. Why? Because he is allowing himself to be called the Messiah. He is allowing his identity to be clearly demonstrated to all of those in Jerusalem. At what time in Jerusalem would there be millions upon millions of Jews there coming for the express purpose of finding salvation? Passover. And at that moment, Jesus is allowing his identity to be communicated. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus refused to rebuke his disciples, allowing himself to be called the Messiah. Whereas earlier, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, when he would heal, when he would perform miracles, he would say what? Don't tell anybody. Don't allow my identity to be communicated. But now, he is allowing who he is, he is allowing his identity, the identity as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the promised one to come and redeem Israel, now to be revealed. I want to point out in this passage from from the beginning of the triumphal entry to now, Jesus has commanded authority over all nature. He walks into the fig tree. He sees that there is no buds, there is no future blooms, that there is no longer a potential for this tree to bear fruit. And so what does he do? He commands it to wither and it dies. And it does. Jesus commands authority over all nature. Now this is not the first time Jesus has demonstrated authority over nature, is it? Remember whenever Jesus was on the bow of the boat and he was sleeping and the waves were crashing on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples said, we're all afraid we're going to drown. And Jesus stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves and his disciples said what? Who is this? That's the same thing they said. Here, look at the text. Look at the text in Matthew chapter 21, verse 20. Seeing seeing this, his disciples marveled. Now, you would think that they would quit marveling, right? They've been with Jesus for three years. You would think that that they would get used to some of this. I mean, he he spits on the ground, he takes mud, he puts it on a blind guy's eyes, and and, and he can see. He tells the lame man to get up and walk. He takes five loaves of bread and two fish and makes it enough to feed 5,000. You would think that that they would come to expect the miraculous. He stands on the bow of the he stands on the bow of the boat and he says, Be still, and the wind and the waves. Obey his command. Jesus is Jesus, and he's constantly doing. In fact, John tells us that the pages of this book uh, are, are that there aren't, there aren't enough pages in all the books in all the worlds to contain all of the miraculous things that Jesus has done, and his disciples were witnesses of all of it. And yet, when Jesus commanded the fig tree to wither and it died immediately, they marveled. And they said, how did this happen? It's the same statement whenever he stood on the bow of the boat and they said, what kind of man is this that the wind and the waves obey his command? Jesus commanded authority over all nature. Also want us to notice that Jesus commanded authority over the law. We go back and look at the passage in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter uh, 12 through through 17. We see Jesus entering the temple. 
And in the temple, there are the lame and there are the sick and they are being healed there in the temple. Jesus commanded authority over the law. The unclean were not allowed to come into the temple. Jesus commanded authority over the law. In Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but that the law might be fulfilled through me. Jesus is the law. Jesus commanded authority over nature. He commanded authority over the law. And he commanded authority over the religious leaders and the elite. Look at the text. Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 through 27. They come to Jesus. The religious leaders, the chief priests, and the elders of the people came to him. And as he was teaching, they questioned him. By whose authority are you doing these things? And did Jesus answer them? No. All he did was question them. Where does the authority lie? Does the authority lie with the chief priests or the elders? If it did, Jesus would have been required to answer them. But as it is, he answers them with a question revealing where true authority lies. He says, I don't have to answer you. You have to answer me. Jesus commands authority over nature, over the law, and over the religious elite. Now, I want to point out that Jesus did not get this authority of his own initiative. Go with me, if you will, to the book of John, chapter 5. Jesus does not receive this authority of his own initiative. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying unto them, this was whenever Jesus' authority as the, uh, over the Sabbath is questioned. He answered them, and he said, Truly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever, whatever the Father does these things, the Son of Man also does in like manner. Keep reading. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing greater works than these, and he will show him that you may marvel. What just happened when Jesus did these things? They marveled. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son also gives life to him whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Where does Jesus receive his authority? From the Father. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Now we're skipping ahead. This is just a, a, a foreshadowing. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Where was it that Jesus received this authority from? From the Father. Jesus receives his authority from the Father. Jesus commanded authority over all nature, commanded authority over the law, commanded authority over the religious leaders. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate authority. You're not the boss of me. No, but Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate authority. I think it's interesting where Jesus takes the chief priests. He takes them to the witness of John the Baptist. Now, Jesus has said in the book of Matthew that there is no one who is born on the earth, that there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And so that's pretty high praise. 
anyone who is born of a woman, which is all of us, that there is no one on the entire earth greater than John the Baptist. And all of the chief priests, all of the elders, all of the teachers, all of the Israelites, all of the Jews, all of the people regard John as a prophet. There is no question as to whether or not John the Baptist was sent from God. And so Jesus asked this question, by whose authority did John baptize? And notice their response. Look back at the text. They said in verse 25, they began reasoning among themselves. This tells us that they're not stupid. They have cognitive understanding. They began reasoning amongst themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven, then he will say to us, why did you not believe him? What, is, what are they saying? They understand that John has proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. It's clearly right there. They said, if we say that John the Baptist is from heaven and his authority comes from heaven, then he will say, why don't you believe him? Because he has said that Jesus is the Messiah. John chapter 1, verse 29. And John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down the hill and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist has proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. You don't like the way John says it? Let's look at the way Matthew says it. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, John says, For as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But there is one who is coming after me who is mightier than I, and I'm not, I'm not even worthy to remove the thong of his sandal. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they understood, if I say, if we say, that John the Baptist spoke from heaven, then we must believe him. Notice what they said next. They said, if we say he's from man, Matthew chapter 21, verse 26, if we say that he is from men, then we fear the multitude, for they all behold John as a prophet. So we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Either Jesus is the Messiah, and we know he's the Messiah, because John prophesied that he's the Messiah, or he's not the Messiah, and John's a liar. There's no, there's no other option. I want to point out something, too, that is often, that is often missed. Not only the witness of John the Baptist, but I want us to look at the acknowledgement of Nicodemus. Go with me, if you will, to the book of John, chapter 3. And first of all, I want us to look at this question of who was Nicodemus. Verse 3, chapter 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. Many of your versions may, something, may say something like, uh, there was a man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, a chief teacher or the teacher of the Jews. Nicodemus was one of those elders, was possibly the chief elder. That's why he would have been chosen to go and approach Jesus in John chapter 3. They wouldn't send some, some, some 
someone down on the totem pole. They would have chosen someone of high reputation, someone who was reputable. And so Nicodemus is very quite possibly the chief elder, the chief ruler, the chief teacher of all of the Pharisees. And they send Nicodemus to inquire about who is this man who has just caused this stir in Jerusalem and overturned the money changers and driven out the, uh, driven out the money changers out of the temple the first time this happened. In John chapter 3, Jesus is approached by the chief ruler of the, of the Pharisees. And listen to Nicodemus' statement. Look at verse 2. This man came to him by night and said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is approached by this same group of people. And he's asked what question? Where does your authority come from? Now this question has already been answered by their chief ruler and their chief teacher the first time, three years ago when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. By whose authority do you come? Nicodemus showed up and said, we know that you come from God because no one can do the things that you do unless he comes from God. They've already answered their question. I want to point out to you, church, that Jesus is God. Whenever he stands up in Jerusalem and he says, before Abraham was, I am. When he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the door. When he makes these I am statements, he is claiming to be God. When he hangs on the cross and he says, Father, into thine hands I commit my spirit, he says in John chapter 10 that no one takes my life, but I lay it down. I and I alone have the authority to lay it down that I may take it up again. Jesus is God. And I want us to understand, church, that, that our submission to his authority, our submission to his authority is not based upon facts. It's based upon two very distinct barriers. Those same barriers that we see in Matthew chapter 21. Either unbelief or misplaced fear. Matthew chapter 21, these chief priests and these elders, they don't want to believe. And I want, to, I want us to understand that unbelief here is not an intellectual problem. It is a volitional problem. Look at what the psalmist says. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want us to understand that belief, faith, is not an intellectual problem. The agnostic, the atheist, the intellectual who has a hard time wrapping their brains around a deity is not an intellectual problem. God said in Isaiah, he said, come, let us reason together. God is the greatest scientist that ever was. 
We can look at the cosmos and, and, and see the intricacies with which God wove together our universe. And then we can look at the eyeball and we can look at the, the microcosm of the human body. We can look at, at how God created atoms and then subatomic particles. And now they're, they're saying that there are particles that are smaller than subatomic particles. They're sub-subatomical particles. And if we could get a, a microscope to look deeper than that, we could probably see that, that, that they're even smaller and that God has woven it all together. And that God is not contradictory to science, but that science proves the, the, the validity and the credibility of our God. Belief is not an intellectual problem. The psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The chief priests and the elders realize that if there is a God, then he is the ultimate authority. And if Christ is the Messiah, then I must submit myself unto him. And they said, we will not rule. We will not have this man rule over us. He's a peasant. He's from Nazareth. He's a carpenter. He has no legitimate, credible claim to have authority over me. They said, you're not the boss of me. And we will not have this man rule over us. It's interesting when they killed Jesus, the Jews and the Romans alike, Jesus was mocked as what? As the king. The Roman soldiers took and they wove a crown of thorns. They placed a reed in his hand. They placed a purple robe, symbolic of royalty, over his bloodied, exposed back. And they took turns beating him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews problem wasn't an intellectual problem. It was a volitional problem. I don't want this man as my authority. Secondly, I want to look at the other barrier for their belief, the other barrier for their surrender, is misplaced fear. Verse 26, they say, if we say from men, we fear the multitudes, for they all hold to John to be the prophet. They feared men. They feared what the multitude would say. They feared the reaction of men. And I believe that the barriers for our surrender, one, is that we don't want to surrender to the authority of Jesus. We want to be our own God. We want to be our own boss. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. And secondly, I believe that we fear what men are going to say. What are my coworkers going to think? What is my family going to think? What are my brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus, who don't follow Christ, what are they going to say? We fear what men and women, we fear what our peers are going to think. We're afraid of men. Psalm chapter 56, the psalmist writes this. In Psalm chapter 56, we read verse 4. 
In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid for what can mere man do to me. Jesus said, do not fear man who can only kill the body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul. I believe that there's two main barriers to our obedience. One is our unbelief. And unbelief is not an intellectual problem, it's a volitional problem that I don't want to surrender my life to this Jesus. And the second is we are afraid of what men will say. What will my co-workers think? What will my friends say? We're more afraid of man. We're more afraid of this world. We're more afraid of what we can see with our eyes. I'm going to encourage you to go to the book of Philippians and see where Paul landed. At the end of Paul's life, he finds himself in prison and he writes a book to the church at Philippi. And he says this, verse 21. He says, For me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. But if I am to live on in this flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which one to choose. Paul says, if they kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. However, if they don't kill me and they leave me alive, I get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and lives and souls get to be changed and and people are saved and and the kingdom of God is expanded. And and I don't know which one to choose. Do Do I pick cookies and cream or do I pick Rocky Road? They're both great. I get to go be with Jesus or I get to tell people about Jesus. For me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. That's why Paul posed such a big problem for the Romans. You can't kill a dead man. You can't threaten somebody who says, kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. They say, fine, we'll chain you to Roman guards and we'll we'll, we'll stop you from spreading the gospel. And so they chain him to Roman guards. He looks at the guy on the right, looks at the guy on the left. He said, hey, did I ever tell you about the time I was on the road to Damascus? And I was on a road to Damascus and this bright light shined out of heaven and, and all of a sudden Jesus himself showed up to me and, 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 and I, was, I was terribly afraid and I said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then the next shift's up and they chain two more Roman guards to him. He looks at him and says, hey, did I ever tell you about the time I was on a road to Damascus? They couldn't stop him. Why? Because he didn't care about what men think he was not afraid of what man can do to him because you can't kill a dead man that's what paul meant when galatians when he said for i am crucified with christ and i no longer live and the life which i now live by faith the life which i now live in the flesh i now live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me when we are crucified to christ when we are dead to this world There's nothing that this world can take from us. We are more afraid of man and we are more afraid of this world. So let me challenge you, church. 
Let us not be like those religious leaders in Matthew chapter 21. Where we recognize and we understand cognitively the authority of Jesus. But we, sur- we fail to surrender to Jesus as our authority. Because we're afraid of what men may do to us. There are those of you here this morning who for the first time realize that Jesus is the ultimate authority. That he commanded authority over nature, he commanded authority over religion, he commanded authority over the law, that Jesus is the ultimate authority. The beautiful message of the gospel is this, that while Jesus is absolutely complete authority over all, that he came down to earth, He became sin for us, took the wrath of sin upon himself, bared the burden, the penalty of sin, that we might receive eternal life. If this morning you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. Maybe this morning you simply need to surrender from fear. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart this morning, may today be the day of decision. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are indeed the boss of me. Whether I choose to acknowledge it, whether I choose to accept it or not, you are the boss. God, may you have your way in my heart. May you have your way in my life. God, I believe that right now that there's someone in this room who needs to surrender an aspect of their life to you. Maybe they're struggling with substance abuse. Maybe they're struggling with idolatry. Maybe their work is their God. Maybe they're struggling with being accepted in this world. Right now, you're calling them, you're calling them to surrender. Quit trying to be, quit trying to be good enough and surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to come down to this altar, get on your face before God and just surrender. Maybe you need to get on your knees right where you're at. But you need to be obedient. There's someone here this morning who needs to, for the very first time, surrender their life to Christ. Trust Him and Him alone for their salvation. And there are those here this morning who need to stop being afraid of what men think and be like Paul. So surrendered to Christ that this world can do nothing to us. 
During this time of invitation, God, we pray that you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.